you have a Bible, open it up to Romans. Open it up to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. There are 16 total chapters in the book of Romans, and we are trying as hard as we can to get to this set of verses in chapter 12 and ask ourselves, what do these verses mean for us and our life as we seek to live for the Lord? Paul writes, I beseech you, I plead with you, I beg you, by the mercies of God, brethren, present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This is completely reasonable. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what we're trying to get to. We're trying to get to that verse. We're trying to ask ourselves, what does that verse mean? And we're going to fly over Romans very quickly, getting to that point, just kind of summarizing the chapters. And we've looked at chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. Uh, In chapter 1, Paul establishes the points at which they agree on. Uh, They're not ashamed of the gospel. And it's the power of God to everyone that believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. And, and as he begins to look at the gospel, he realizes that the gospel deals with sin, our sin. And one of the, the, the sins that we commit so often that we don't really even recognize the full potency of it and what it does to us is the sin of judgment. We have no excuse if we judge others. For in passing judgment on others, we condemn ourselves because the very thing that we judge, we ourselves are practicing. And so uh, we looked at that, and then we moved on to see that in chapter 3, the notion of, of what God has done is brought together in one little statement, that he, being God, is just. And yet at the same time, he is the justifier of those who will believe in Jesus. What an amazing statement. This isn't a new idea either. In fact, all the way back in the Old Testament, there was a man of faith called Abraham. And what did the scriptures tell us? But that Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Well, this all brings us to the point of realizing that we are at peace with God. It's an amazing statement. By the way, this is a great picture, isn't it? That's the new chapel up in uh, Alaska. It will be dedicated this Saturday, and it's, it's on the banks of Burner Bay, and uh, they were out, and they were looking back at it, and that, that rainbow formed above it, and the rainbow is a symbol of peace because God spoke to Noah, and, he, and after the, he had flooded the earth, he said, no, I'm not going to do this again, and here's my promise to you. Here's my covenant That's what God does. He makes covenants with his people. Here's my covenant to you of of protection. The bow in the sky. And uh, and here, we are at peace with God. That is stated as clearly as it possibly can be stated in Romans chapter 5, and it's in verse 1. And if you have any question as to what verse you ought to memorize this week, it's that verse right there. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Let me read it for you. Therefore, 
on the basis of everything that's been covered in chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we acknowledge Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And, and Abraham, he, he, his, his relationship with God was established through faith, and that is the pattern by which our relationship with God is established. In fact, Abraham is not just the father of the Jews. He's the father of us all, we find out in Romans chapter 4. He's the father of us all. All the world? No, that would be Adam. He is the father of all those who have a relationship with God. It's through faith. It's through faith. It's through faith. If I have any standing with God, it's through faith. Can you say that with me? If I have any standing with God, it's through faith. Say it with me one more time. If I have any standing with God, it is through faith. That's what it's telling us here in chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith... What does that mean to be justified by faith? To be declared righteous before a holy God. And the result of that is we have peace. We have peace with God. And that peace that we have with God is through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if that does anything to excite you. That does a lot to excite me. That's good news. That's the whole point of what this, that we're going to celebrate later, memorializes. This memorializes that Jesus Christ paved a way where we can be right with God. And he paved that way through his very blood. And we, we accept uh, him. We, we trust in him. Our confidence is in that, that his, his body was given for us. He was willing to be our Savior. And and, and not only that, but his blood, his blood was able to pay our debt. He was willing and he was able. And he achieved on that cross what no one else could have ever achieved. He died in our place so that we can have a right standing before God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And from here, the chapter moves on. And uh, the rest of chapter 5 is looking at what that, that means to be at peace with God. And, and it's looking at, at where we go from here. Now, I, I mentioned earlier that Romans has 16 chapters. Well, we've already covered the big issue. <laughs> how to have peace with God. But, but now... Romans is going to turn, uh, Paul is going to turn uh, in Romans to, to bring our attention to, to what does that mean and how does that work out. And in and, and chapters 5, 6, 7, 8, he's going to deal with one aspect of that. In chapters 9, 10, and 11, he's going to deal with another aspect of that. And in chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, he's going to deal with another aspect of that. 
And you said, well, you said there were 16 chapters. And in the 16th chapter, he's going to say hello to my brothers. And he's going to cover all these different people that he has a relationship with. And, and he's going to just uh, give them a word of personal greeting in chapter 16. In other words, we're, we're family, he's going to say in chapter 16. So here in chapter 5, there, we're moving away from, not, not away from the doctrine of justification, but we're moving away from the proof that we have justification to what then therefore that means for us. Uh, therefore, uh, in, we have been justified. We have peace. And, and so what, is the, what, what, what comes out of that? The first thing is in verse 2. The first thing is in verse 2. Through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, there's a word that comes up, and this is the first time this word appears in the book of Romans. It's the word uh, grace. In fact, there's a number of big words that are going to appear in this uh, chapter, starting here, going on down through. In fact, here's a bunch of them right here on the word. The word uh, grace is going to appear. The word righteousness has already appeared in Romans, but it's going to appear several more times in chapter 5. The word justification is going to appear. The word condemnation is going to appear. And the word reconciliation is going to appear. Now, if you've ever worked with kids in memorizing Bible verses, it's always fun when these words are in their Bible verses. Because if the kid can just get the word out, uh, that's good enough. And so they, they, they memorize a verse that has the word justification in it. And then the kid maybe memorizes another verse that has the word uh, condemnation in it. And then maybe another word that has another verse that has the word reconciliation. But the kid doesn't have a clue as to what those words mean. But that's okay. They've got the verse memorized. What else do they need? And the problem is we process through from kids to adults to, uh, to uh, adults with children and, and moving on. And, and we never bother establishing what do these words mean? They're big words. But being more than just big words, they're big words that matter. They're big words that matter. So what we'd like to do today, and I, and I say we, is I would like to have you and I work together on figuring out exactly what these different words mean. I haven't even figured out for sure what order I'm going to go through these different words. But let's start with, uh, with the notion of that word uh, grace. Grace is a gift. For by grace you save through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And, and what is the gift that God has given us? And, and in, a, in, a, in a sense, the gift that God has given us is that he's given us the position of declared righteousness before him. That is a gift. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the gift. The gift is not just justification. The gift is life. 
The gift is not just justification. The gift isn't just life. The gift is also righteousness, a right standing before God. The gift is not just justification. It's not just life. It's not just a, a, a right standing. It's, it's reconciliation. In other words, that word grace, in a sense, goes around and encompasses all of this, and it just simply says this. What you have, you have from God as a gift. And that, that total of that is grace. Is grace. Is grace. All that I have, I have through grace. Can you say that with me? All that I have, I have through grace. You've just said the same thing you said earlier. You just use different words to say the same thing. All that you have, you have through God's goodness, God's grace. This is a gift that you have from God. And so uh, we come down to verse 2, and it says uh, something very simply, through, through whom we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand. Now that word stand has the idea of, of standing. In other words, it's, it's, it's a positional truth. I have a standing with God. This doesn't just mean I stand on top of grace. If that's true, we would just get little tiles in our kitchen that had the word grace on it, and we go, I'm there, and we're standing on grace. No, that's not the idea. The idea is I'm positionally secure before God in a standing in grace. I have a standing with Smith Hardy that none of the rest of you have. I have a standing as son. Because biologically, I am his child. Uh, On my birth certificate, there is his name. I have a standing with him. And so uh, if someday uh, my father uh, passes away, uh, they'll, we'll open up the will and it'll say uh, something to the effect of, here's how I'm going to take care of my heirs and I have a standing. I'll be interested in being there that day. This is what the word is talking about here. We have a standing with God. Now, my dad is still living. My mom is still living. I, I, I think that is a glorious thing, and I'm, and I'm grateful for it. And so I'm living on this hope that one day uh, that standing will be acted upon, though I'm certainly not wanting them to pass away. That's what it's talking about here in verse 2. We stand in this grace, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Nothing needs to change between now and eternity for me to go to heaven. It is settled. There isn't the possibility I'm going to lose this. There isn't the possibility that I'm going to gain this. My standing with God is completely secure because the death of Christ achieved it. Jesus said, it is finished. It's done. The ink has dried. My, my, my place is secure. And, and so I just, I'm just, I'm waiting for the taxi to come pick me up. 
Now, I, I, I used to think when I was younger, you know, well, I'd like to pastor this kind of a church, or I'd like to raise this many children, or I'd, I'd like to do this, I'd like to do that. And the older I get, I'm like, well, you know, there really isn't that much more than I really uh, need to do. I'm just looking forward to being with the Lord in heaven, in glory. How many of you feel that way? You know, man, it'd be good to just go home to glory. Some of us are, are close to that and others. You go to the nursing home, and I don't know how many times I go to the nursing home, and I talk to someone that's there in a the nursing home. They've been in a nursing home for years, and they say, I don't know why the Lord leaves me here. Sometimes I think the, the way they act and respond to all the other people around them and the way they treat, treat them, I think to myself, I wonder why he does too. But anyhow, uh, <laughs> we'll not go there right now. That is what he's saying in verse 2. The hope of heaven. But let me ask you a question. While we're waiting on this hope that we're absolutely certain of, do do events happen in this life that are troubling to you? Does anybody else have things happen to them and you think, why in the world did that happen to me? Has anybody ever gone, have you gone through anything like that in the last week where you thought, what in the world, uh, what, what was that about? Look in verse 3. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Now, out of this grace that is mentioned in verse 1, there are two statements of rejoicing. This grace makes it where I can rejoice because I know for sure what the hope of the glory of God is. But this grace also makes it where I can rejoice in whatever difficult things that I go through. And here it simply puts the word sufferings. There's no reason for any of these things to get me down because guess what? I know my standing in God is secure you know, I've heard people say things like this. I've heard people say something goes wrong. And they go, man, the Lord must be trying to get my attention. Or they'll say, uh, man, the Lord must be upset with me. Or they'll say, man, the Lord must be doing something to... to... We rejoice in our sufferings. There is a purpose to sufferings. Now it's going to tell us what they are very, very quickly. Look, if you will, in verse 3. We glory in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation, suffering, produces perseverance. Perseverance or endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Now, you see this again? It's real clear. Suffering goes to endurance. Endurance goes to character. Character goes to hope. And hope does not put us to shame. The purpose of the difficult things we go through are to cause us to realize, first of all, they make you tougher. They make you tougher. You go through difficult times, it makes you tougher. It produces in you endurance. And that endurance is a good thing. It's a good thing that that, those things happen. 
They, they make you tougher. It's like lifting weights. The heavier the weight is, the tougher you get, the, the stronger you get. And, and yet you can't, you can't drop a 400-pound bar on you day one because you have to build up that strength. And so the suffering makes you build up. And that building up process, what is it building up? It's building up your character. How many of you would say, I'm a better person today than I was a few years back because of some of the stuff I've gone through? It's made me a better person. And uh, some of you might say, well, I don't know if it has or not. And, and some of us might be thinking that about you right now. But anyhow, uh, if you take the suffering and you allow it to bring about the endurance, then the endurance is going to produce in you character. And what is that character going to do? Where's that character focused in on? It's focused in on hope. Now that word hope has appeared once in this passage already. Do you remember where it appeared? If you look up, you'll see it. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You ever hear that little song? This world is not my home. I'm just a traveling through. Have you ever heard that song? There's a, there's a, this, this world teaches you something. If you, if you go through the suffering of this world, you begin to realize, I am not content here. There must be something better. There must be something better. And if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what that is? You know what the better is. You know what the better is. Yeah, I tell you what the better is. The better is heaven. The better is in the presence of the glory of God. And everything in life pushes me, stretches me, pulls me, fashions me, develops me to realize I'm not made for this world. I'm made for the world to come through faith by the grace of God. I've got a place in the world to come that I'm looking forward to. My wife will raise her hand on this. And there's probably a half a dozen others of you that would raise your hand on this. You went to church one day and this guy started preaching about hell. And you thought, man, I don't want to go to hell. And they said, there's a fiery place, and in that fiery place, the demons of hell live there, and those who have sinned will be cast into that fiery place. And if you don't turn to Jesus, you'll go to that same fiery place. And you think, man, I don't want to go to hell. Anybody else have that experience? We have two honest people here. <laughs> I don't want to go to hell. But how much do you want to go to heaven? I'll tell you what life is about once you trust Christ. Life is about coming to the place where going to heaven sounds better and better and better and better. And I know I'm going there. And all of life drives me to realize the place that I know I'm going to will be good. Hope does not put us to shame because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us.
what was poured out into our hearts? The love of God has been poured out into our hearts. I've got a slide that even shows that. There it is. And the love of God is poured out into our hearts. How? By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a personal being. And a personal being is going to pour out the love of God into your hearts. In other words, God's love is going to be expressed to you in a personal way. How many of you ever stood in line and you had a plate and you walked up there and it says, here's your potatoes, here's your this, here's your this, here's your this. And you went, chick, 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 and you went out and you had a plate full of food. And you went, oh, don't you love that? You're not given any word in the matter. It just, it's just, your plate's just filled up. How many of you much prefer it when you walk through a, a buffet or a and, and, and you have your plate, and there's someone standing over there, and you go, hey, could you give me a little bit of that? Oh, yeah. And I want some of this. Okay. And, and you move down through, and someone personally interacting with you fills your plate with exactly what you want to eat. How many find that good? Man, that's good. How do you like it when your mama gives you exactly what you want? Uh, and you, you go to see her, and she's cooked up your favorite stuff. The Holy Spirit the other comforter, pours out into our hearts the love of God. Well, why is that so important? Because in Romans 5.8 we learn this. God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I have this fun little thing I do, and if I've not come to your house, you text me and I'll come to your house someday, even if your house might be a few miles away. But I'll go by somebody's house, and I'll walk up to the door with a, with a bucket, a wood bucket, and inside that wood bucket is a bunch of ice, and I'll walk up there, and, and there's ice cream in that bucket. Normally, people will look out and they'll see me, and they'll kind of have a quizzical look. What exactly does he have? But people that I've gone by to several times, they know what that bucket is, and they think, well, he's got ice cream, and the door swings open. God shows his love. How much does God love you? Enough to die for you. He shows his love in Christ. And now in your day-to-day life, he pours out that love. You want any of this? Man, I want that! And God comes and he says, through the Holy Spirit, let me pour that on you right where you need it, right where you want it, right where it should be because of the suffering and the tribulation and the difficulties and and the endurance and the character. Let me pour this love right at the point where you most need it. The Holy Spirit is the earnest expectation of the purchase payment. The Holy Spirit is the demonstration of God in this present world. I'm going to meet your needs perfectly. And the Holy Spirit pours out the love that God demonstrated on that cross. These are some big words. We stood condemned. But we no longer stand condemned. We stand now justified. In fact, look at Romans chapter 5 verses 10 and 11. 
For if when we were enemies, that's when we were condemned, we were reconciled. That, that we, were, we went from the position of totally condemned to being reconciled, totally right. We came out of this, the, the, the flock of the goats and we came into the flock of the sheep. We were enemies. And while we were enemies, while we were enemies, what does it say? We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. His son died. Now, now, how, how were we reconciled? Through the death of his son's much more than now being reconciled, now that we are reconciled, now that we are in this right place with God, much more than that, we rejoice. We now have received the reconciliation. How? Through the person of Christ. Now, just, just look at this. We were enemies. We were reconciled to God. Now look, bam. Nope, back, Jeremy, to that other slide. Hit the forward key to activate the slide. I want you to see these words. See if you'll get it. Much more, 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 more. You ever been out at the restaurant and you say, hey, could I have some of that? And they put on a little bit of it and you go, no, I want more. I want more of that. Give me some more. I, I want some more of that. I want some more of that. Now, he can't save you anymore. But this reconciliation... My place in my standing, I can understand it more and more and more. How many of you understand today more than you did the day you trusted Christ of what all he did for you? What kinds of things have made you come to understand how much he did for you? Life is what caused you to come to realize that. We, we shall be saved. Look at verse 10. By his life. You actually kind of somewhat expect to read the word by his death. His death is what reconciled us. His death is what justified us. But but the thing that's looking at here when it's talking about salvation, it's talking about the, the understanding in the present situation and the difficulties that I'm going through, that understanding comes by his life. The more I live, the more I understand what it is God did for me. And the more I understand, the fuller uh, appreciation I have for what he did for me. And the more I appreciate what it is that he's done for me, the more able I am to carry on in this world in the hope of who he is. The free gift, it's not like the trespass. If many died through one man's trespass, much more the grace of God, the the, the free gift of grace, that one man, Jesus. How many of you ever sit there and think, you know, man, Adam put us in a mess? How many many sit around and think about how Adam put us in a mess? Yeah, you think, well, yeah, Adam put us in a mess. Let me tell you something. Most of your mess, you made yourself. 
You can't blame it on Adam. You know, Adam maybe put me in the wrong neighborhood, but I put down stakes here, and, I, and I've lived in the wrong neighborhood the wrong way for a long time. I really can't blame the majority of my mess on Adam. Adam put me here, but I've lived here happy as a clam. But the free gift is not like the trespass. No, no, the free gift is totally different. The free gift is a gift of grace that one man Jesus did and it abounds. All my sin doesn't ever negate what abounded toward me in Christ. All my sin doesn't doesn't distract God from what Jesus did for me on that cross. And and in a sense, I act like a loser. But because of Jesus, I am a winner. I might act like a loser, but it never changes. I'm on that side. He's more than abounded for me. And that's where this whole chapter finishes. The law came to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded. Now, I want you to understand, we often quote this verse where sin increased Grace abounded. But this isn't actually talking about sinning more. What this is talking about is the law causes me to realize how much I have sinned. In other words, there's no statement here, let's go do some extra sin so that we can have more grace. That's not what he's talking about at all. What he's talking about is the the more keenly aware I become of how much sin has destroyed me, grace overpowers We had a guy up in Iowa. He led the music. His name was Richard. Richard had a nice voice. He was good at leading the music. And he had a nice baritone voice. And uh, Richard uh, uh, just did a super job of leading the music. And, And this is where he was so good at leading the music. He would lead the closing number at the end. And sometimes I would preach a bad sermon, like once every three or four or five years. I would preach a bad sermon, okay? And, and, and man, I'd, I'd go and I'd sit down there in the front row and I'd think, oh, man, that thing, that was a dog. That was a dog. And I would just think, oh, man, uh, poor congregations, they had to sit through that. And Richard would get up there and Richard would say, uh, let's sing hymn number. And he would pick out a, sing, a song and he would start to sing it. And somewhere in that song would be the word grace. When I went to Leon, Iowa, I visited Richard, and he was in jail. He was in jail for a crime that we would all say would be one of the most horrific crimes a man could commit. His wife literally told him on numerous occasions, you ought to kill yourself. 
and he found grace. Now, Richard had grown up in a Christian home. He had a mom and dad that loved the Lord, and yet he had run as hard as he could from that. And, and, And now he found grace in a Savior that would welcome him back. And so I would preach my dog sermon. I mean, my dog sermon. And Richard would get up there, and he'd say, well, let's sing hymn 252, and, and it would be, you know, wonderful grace of Jesus. And Richard would sing the word grace, and Richard could not sing the word grace without a tear in his eye. And he, would, uh, he could sing uh, while crying. He, he, it was amazing how he could do it, but he, but he could sing while being overwhelmed with the truth of how much God had forgiven him. And, and he would sing this song on grace and God's goodness and how God had forgiven him. And he'd sing that song and we'd all sing along with him. And then everybody would walk out the door and they'd shake my hand and go, great sermon, pastor, that was a great sermon. Richard had rescued my dog <laughs> with a great song. But it was more than the song. Richard's heart had been touched by grace. And even when he remembered all the horrible things that had happened, there was something way better. There was grace. Now, I, I, I bring this all because we're going to come to the communion table here in just a second. The point of this, come up here and help me, Kevin. The point of this is to remind you of something. You stand before a holy God because this man, the Son of God, took your place. And you today can have total confidence. You'll walk golden streets. You'll come into the presence of a holy God. You'll stand forgiven for all the ages of time because someone took your place. And nothing you do will ever bring down the grace of God that was effective, that was abounding toward you. And we can talk all we want to about what it means to be saved, but if you don't have that deep, deep, deep assurance in your heart, then suffering Endurance, character will come so that you can have hope. And that's why life is tough, is so that God can squeeze into our life a better understanding of grace so that we can live in this damned world forgiven. Nothing's better than grace, God. Nothing's better than what Jesus did for us. We we come to this table 
not to find a measure of grace, but to remember the abounding, immeasurable grace that was poured out on a cross, demonstrated before us and administered to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This love of God that would show pity and mercy upon sinners like us. How undeserving we are, but how full and rich and boundless you are. How good, how gracious, how incredibly long-suffering is our great God to whom all praise be for all the hope and glory of the ages to come and for all the present suffering to bring us to a fuller knowledge. Therefore, since we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ.